0: Our teaching text for today is from the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verses 37 through 41, and the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is the prophet. Others said, He is the Messiah. Still others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: When the film Titanic was being filmed in Nova Scotia, the crew had a clam chowder party like you do in Nova Scotia. And apparently, the chowder was fantastic. And people were going back for second bowls, raving about the chowder. James Cameron, the director, was there. Apparently, though, the story goes, Leo and Kate were not there at this moment. And um, after the chowder party, people were struggling to get back to work. Everyone uh, was feeling funny initially, and it it wasn't that the uh, chowder had turned or something like that. Uh, Then they started acting funny, and people were curious about what had happened, and it turned out that someone, they think a disgruntled uh, crew member who had just been fired, spiked the chowder with PCP. Wow. Or as you know, on the street... Angel dust. Um, so after the chowder party, everyone was high as a kite. Um, and they had to put them in the hospital, and people Kept running out of their hospital rooms. Um, they even they even reportedly started a conga line in the hospital. People were going wild, and um, it's kind of funny, uh, but it's also a little bit of a terrifying story. Uh, these people began to experience a phenomenon that they were not prepared for, and uh, you know this 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 you know symptoms of of being high without having ever intentionally ingested a, a, a drug, and you know. <laughs> I'm um, not going to go too deep into my story, but having had some experience in my past life um, with hallucinogenics, I think this would be a pretty cruel trick to to pull on someone to all of a sudden be experiencing these types of, 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 of symptoms. But when I think about that, that conga line in the hospital, I think about the Pentecost story. I, I think there's a, a parallel there. In Acts 2... People began to experience something pretty radical, and we don't know. We're not given a window into their inner monologue of exactly how they're experiencing, but it seems like they're, um, you know, having a tremendous, you know, experience. And the witnesses, though, are trying to make sense of, of what's happening. and One of the explanations is maybe these people are intoxicated. Um, Why this conga line in the hospital? Why why are these people crying out to God in other languages? Where's this joy coming from? What's all this commotion? Did someone spike the chowder at the Pentecost party? Are these people drunk? And, And they say, no, it's nine in the morning. Something extraordinary is happening at Pentecost But unlike this incident with the Titanic film crew, uh, this thing that's happening is something God has been preparing for and preparing the world for for centuries. We may all come to the idea of God from different starting places, but I find one of the most phenomenal things that that keeps showing up in, in the scriptures is that God is revealing himself as someone who loves relationships. Uh, that God is a God who, who loves to be close and to be known and, and, and is, is seeking to repair the world through relationships. A, a climactic moment that's what we're witnessing in Pentecost a climactic moment in a centuries long plan for for, for God um, to prepare people to be able to handle being filled in their very bodies with the life of God that God would be so close with us that the experience and the description of, of the reality that takes place is that we would be Filled with the Spirit, filled with the life of God. That that relational union that says something about God. That that's what He's longing for. That that's what this centuries-long plan is working towards. Is that we would be so relationally connected that we would be actually filled with His life, filled with His Spirit. But that filling doesn't somehow doesn't take away our individuality and make us you know some sort of like religious clone types. Um, it actually makes us the truest most alive versions of ourselves. That it's not just either a solo individualistic experience, but it's something that while bringing us closer to God also brings us closer to our neighbor, closer to one another. It begins to unite our hearts. This is right away in this Pentecost story. But even that, it's, it's not just the people who are receiving the Holy Spirit, who are the beneficiaries, they turn around and become uh, leaning out towards, moving towards in generosity and love towards their neighbor. A sure sign we see in Acts 2 of the Spirit's filling is that people become radically generous and moving towards the other, concerned for justice for their neighbor. That's how Spirit-filled people live. To me... When I think about a conception of God, those aims of God in this centuries-long plan are, are comforting to me. <laughs> They're encouraging. It's pretty, it's pretty wild to think that God is after this and, and, and willing to work so long to, to accomplish this. So it's not that God you know, spiked the chowder on Pentecost, but that He brought to fruition uh, you know, an accomplishment of this centuries-old plan to heal the world and to unite us to, to Him and to unite us to one another. And I want us to look at this miracle because it is a miracle that occurs on Pentecost. And this, this uh, you know, we've, we've said it so many ways, this outpouring, filling of the Spirit, this high point in the story, it's the birth of the church. And I want to look at it quickly in four, in four ways. I just held up five, but I really mean four. Four ways that I want us to look at it. The, the promise the outpouring, the resistance, and the receptivity. So there's many places throughout the, the, the course of the Scriptures before Act 2 that we could look to find the promise um, of what's happening on Pentecost. But as a place to begin, I want us to go back only a year or two in the, in the narrative um, to, to when Jesus was at the Feast of the Tabernacles in Jerusalem. And this was the first text from John 7 that we had read. I'll give you just a bit of it again. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this, he meant the Spirit, whom those who had believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. I'll think about the context for just a moment. Jerusalem is a city surrounded by arid de- arid desert regions. Uh, having a water supply wasn 't just a, a you know a, a nice thing it was absolutely crucial to their survival. Um, You know, you think over and over again about the stories of Abraham and and Jacob and how important having a working well was and who had claim to that well. It's a big part of the story. This is a festival, the Feast of Tabernacles, celebrating God's provision in the wilderness for His people when He provided manna from heaven and water from the, the rock. So the Feast of Tabernacles is remember when we went from place to place and God cared for us and provided for us all along the way. And right at this climactic moment in the celebration when the priest, would pour out this offering of water and wine on the altar, Jesus stands up right at this moment so no one can miss the symbolism of what he's saying. And he says, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. And this living water will become a river, a spring within them flowing outward. Jesus is saying, I will satisfy you and... I will make you a source. That deep inner spiritual longing, if we're honest, is, is one of the things that we share as human beings. It is, it is as real, I think, to our experience as being thirsty is. and we, we may not be as acutely aware of it as often as we are you know in need of water. But we do feel it. It's that, you know, that fifty-yard stare where you just sort of get lost in the longings that you have for your life. Um, It's it's those moments where we're not just feeling loneliness, but we're feeling the scary, heavy weight of our loneliness, where um, our, our our thoughts that we can't seem to shake at night, and we can't seem to fall asleep, and we're turning over these thoughts, and they seem to be turning us over. It's. It's the way, uh, you know, uh, the, it's the sort of unanswerable voice that our shame can take in our heads in our worst days. It's the, it's the longing to belong to something or to belong to someone that we can't lose. It's, uh, for, for many of us, it's a keen sense that there's something fundamentally broken in the world and we keep bumping up against the reality of this brokenness. It's the ache that we feel when we love something so deeply, but we know we have a lot less control of the world or them than we, than we like to admit. Ronald Rollheiser put it like this, I, I think it's so beautiful and so true. It's beautiful because it's true. <laughs> It is no easy task to walk this earth and find peace. Inside of us it would seem something is at odds with the very rhythm of things and we are forever restless, dissatisfied, frustrated, and aching. We are so overcharged with desire that it is hard to come to simple rest. Desire is always stronger than satisfaction. Put more simply, there is within us a fundamental dis-ease, an unquenchable fire that renders us incapable in this life to ever come to full peace. This desire lies at the center of our lives, in the marrow of our bones, and in the deep recesses of the soul. We are not easeful human beings who occasionally get restless, serene persons who once in a while are obsessed by desire. The reverse is true. We are driven persons, forever obsessed, congenitally, congenitally diseased, living, as Thoreau once suggested, lives of quiet desperation, only occasionally experiencing peace. Desire is the, is the straw that stirs the drink. Spirituality is ultimately about what we do with that desire, what we do with our longings, both in terms of handling the pain and the hope they bring us. That is our spirituality. Jesus said it so much more succinctly. He has the best quotes. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Jesus said, through a deep relational connection with me, through faith, just as the old stories pointed to, this deep soul longing that if you're honest and quiet enough, you find in yourself, and if you're not honest and quiet enough, it will come screaming after you at some point in your life. This deep soul longing of the human experience can find fulfillment in this relational connection to God that Jesus is here to extend an offering for us to receive. And to receive not simply in a one-off experience, but in an ongoing life. So it's like it becomes a river that is flowing within us and flowing out of us. And John, the gospel writer, lets us know, sort of gives us a little bit of commentary right there, that what Jesus is talking about when he's talking about this living water that becomes a spring within us, he's speaking about the spirit that was, that was to be given. He's giving a promise of what's to come. And the Spirit being poured out is is going to be connected to Jesus being glorified. Whatever's going to happen with with the Holy Spirit that hasn't happened yet is going to happen when Jesus is glorified. And this is a really important detail that it's easy to fly over, but so important for us to see. In in the coming weeks, we're going to see actually quite a bit of wild connections uh, between this story on Pentecost and and the past and the Exodus and Moses' story and Israel as a nation story. But today, I I want you to see and, and just our... Our our regular year, Good Friday and Easter, and Ascension Sunday, which was we often forget about, and Pentecost are linked. And the theological realities, the events, the narrative, the story, and how they're all hung together are, are, are linked. What happened to Jesus on the cross? And then what we see in the reality of the resurrection, and then Jesus' ascension and the sharing of his mention uh, of his mission, of his mention, sharing of His mission with us, are all things that make Pentecost possible. The Holy Spirit is being poured out. Because Jesus has been lifted up on the cross and the veil has been torn and it has been finished, it is accomplished. And the the resurrection was not the reversal of a defeat, but the manifestation of a victory that Jesus had won on the cross. And that victory gets sort of ratified and demonstrated and we get a share in it as Jesus says, I'm leaving the mission to you. And he ascends to the Father. And then from that right-hand place of authority in heaven, Jesus says, I'm promising you that a guide, a comforter, an advocate, one who gives you the power, who will remind you, who will lead you, my my very spirit is coming. And then Pentecost happens in the spirit poured out on us, and those things are absolutely connected. Do you remember? This is like 90s movies, uh, uh, you know, sermon time here today. But you remember at the end of Shawshank Redemption? Um, if you haven't seen it, have a look. I'm not going to feel bad at all about spoiling it. It's 25 years old, folks. You should have watched it by now. But Morgan's, uh, Morgan Freeman's character, Red, at the end of the movie, he finds this gift from Andy Dufresne under the tree. He goes to this sort of outskirts of the countryside in Maine, and he digs up this box under the tree. And inside, he finds all this money that Andy left for him and directions to Ziwatanehu. He's able to receive this gift and to begin this new life because of this gift. But I want you to think about it and it's so it's so simple and obvious but if he received the exact same thing right in in the in the prison red was a guy who could get you things and so he he actually wasn't wasn't you know deeply in need of money he had what he needed but if he had been given these very same things that he finds in the box while he was still in Shawshank while he was still in prison it would not have meant the same thing the gift of the Spirit, the outpouring of Pentecost, comes after what Jesus does on the cross, the reality of the resurrection, the ascension, the sharing of his mission, because this is the very thing that applies all of that to our lives, that brings all of that to life in our hearts, that brings all of that to life in our community, that, that makes us brothers and sisters with one another. We are in the age of the Holy Spirit, where the accomplishments of Jesus are being made alive in our lives and community by the power of the Holy Spirit that is poured out in Pentecost when the church is born. The Spirit did not fall until Christ was glorified, but because Christ has been glorified and is his life, death, and resurrection, the Spirit falls. There's a bunch of wild details connected to the the, the Israel's feasts and festivals. Jesus uh, ascends at the celebration of the first fruits of the barley harvest, which was the poor man's grain. Um, and now, as they gather for the the, the, the festival of, of the of the you know fifty days later after Passover, they're gathering for the celebrating the the beginning of the wheat harvest, the wealthier person's harvest, and this gift is poured out to all the nations the first fruit and then the larger harvest coming in, the whole, all the nations, the world being affected by this promise fulfilled, this outpouring. The promise and the outpouring of the Spirit. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, the crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. We've said it in years past, but church, remember this is the healing of the wounds of the Tower of Babel when everyone was scattered because they couldn't speak the language, and now they're being healed and brought back together as, as, a, as a new type of humanity. This is a, also a recreating of, of Israel being blessed with the word and life of God at Mount Sinai. It's also a, a reenactment of their failure as a nation with the, with the golden calf. We're going to see more of that later in, in this series. But God constantly do, does that, right? He, he he brings us back to moments. Remember when Peter had denied Jesus ar- around the, the courtyard fire on the on the night of his arrest, and then later when Jesus um, restores him, he brings him right back to a, a right beside a fire, basically reenacts the same thing. He's doing that in in a national way with the people of Israel right now. Re enacting this, this story they were so familiar with in a new way. That, but this is this is God filling his people with his life in Jesus' name filling people from all over every tribe, tongue, and nation. They're hearing in their own language. They're being given the fire of the presence of God. This this new language of love and mission. They're They're being given this share in this new diverse family that lifts up Jesus. It's going to result in lives that begin to heal the world by how they live. Great. An outpouring of the Holy Spirit. What did you expect to hear about at church on Pentecost? Some of you have heard this type of thing so many times that you begin to do something where you put up a little protective barrier for yourself. And you begin to give these little whispered excuses in your mind about why this might be possible for someone else at some other place in some other time. But... It's just not for you. That's just not how you do things. It's just not how you experience God. And I'm not saying that to receive the Holy Spirit has to be a wild, loud, you know, uh, you know, outlandish outburst. It can happen in quiet, beautiful, simple ways. But if you're beginning to see in your own mind and heart this little sort of rationalization about why this is a story for another time or for other people, I just want you to notice that. There are many factors in our world uh, that, that might hinder us from experiencing God or receiving a gift that God wants to give us. But over and over, if we pay attention to the story of the scriptures, God's heart is revelation. God loves to make himself known, Pentecost reminds us that God loves to make himself known. That God pours out His Spirit. That God says, "You don't just need tablets. You don't just need an example. You don't just need law. You don't need these old stories to go back to. You don't even just need a person who lives for thirty-three years in one specific time and place. You need my very life to fill your life. You need my motivations to intermingle with your motivations. You need my healing to intermingle with your wounds. You need my my, my love and zeal to." intermingle with your apathy and distraction. You need my very life to fill and renew your mind and give you imagination for new possibilities and and be the first one to ask for forgiveness and the first one to show radical generosity. We need the Spirit of God alive in our very life, and that's what He longs for. He wants to be closer than our very heart, be closer than our breath, and if we're not experiencing that way, church, we can. That's what Pentecost is a reminder every year. If we're not experiencing Him that way, church, we can. He's available. He longs to make Himself known. I love how Tozer, A.W. Tozer, says this. He says, Our pursuit of God is successful just because God is forever seeking to manifest Himself. The revelation of God to any person is not God coming from a distance once upon a time to pay a brief and momentous visit to the person's soul. Thus to think of it is to misunderstand it at all. The approach of God to the soul or of the soul to God is not to be thought of in spatial terms at all. There is no idea of physical distance involved in the concept. It is not a matter of miles but of experience. What's he saying? It's not that God is off some far off distance and has to fight his way through to us because of the order, because of what Jesus has already done on the cross. The veil is torn. We... The spirit is here. It's not a, it's not a matter of miles. It's a matter of experience. It's not a matter of nearness. It's a matter of awareness. It's not a matter of can God. It's a matter of are we a receptive? Are we open? Are we willing? Will we, will we say yes? There are sometimes God moves so powerfully in our lives that it feels like he, he overwhelms even our ability to answer one way or another. I've had some experiences like that, but the normal pattern is God will issue an invitation. God will say, I'm here, I'm speaking, and He'll give you the opportunity to say yes or no to, to the invitation of the Spirit. And that's why I think it's important to notice if you look in John 7 and in Acts 2, the promise being given and the outpouring being realized, in both places there was resistance. And all through the rest of the book of Acts there's tremendous resistance. These people are going to be thrown in jail, many of them are going to die for their for their faith. But when Jesus makes the promise, there were questions about his identity. Who who is this guy anyway? And 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 Someone claiming to be what he's claiming to be couldn't be where he's from. There were questions of his identity. There was questions of his background. There was questions of where he came from. At Pentecost, right, there's confusion. What's going on here? They're assuming that they must be drunk. There's some other explanation. I want to tell you there's always going to be some other take on what is happening that will be an option for you to leap to in your mind or your heart. Around us all the time, there's going to be confusion, alternative explanations. There's going to be uh, substitutes, other motivations, other pursuits. There's going to be cultural norms. There's going to be other stories that people are insisting on. I want you to think about that. There's that type of resistance all the time in in, in our world. Other explanations, other motivations, other stories people are insisting on, other pursuits. And one of the things I love about New York City is we live in a city where people are tremendously bold about what's most important to them. The thing that matters most to them, people are bold and empowered to speak out about that. But that means there's a bunch of competing most important things in the air of our city. There's a bunch of competing most important narratives. There's there's a lot of confusion about what matters most in a place like this because there's so many competing ideas and lifestyles and stories that people are living out of. So I want to ask you this. What would would be worth it for you to miss what God is offering you? There's always going to be resistance, a chance of confusion or substitutes or some other story. What would be worth it for you to miss what God is offering you? And just to remember really quick what that is, it's this living water that becomes in us a spring, that, that heals the dead and parched places in us, that speaks to our deepest longings, that makes us, uh, that refreshes us, but also makes us agents of refreshment, agents of renewal in the world. It's the Spirit filling our lives with the very life of, of God. So I'm not talking simply about I've been at church enough to know ideas about God. I'm not just talking about having a coherent worldview and being able to make good arguments for belief. I'm talking about your life being filled with the very life of God, the actual life of God, filling your very life, and you having an experience of that union and that oneness. I'm talking about whatever it was, the difference between these disciples missing the point and arguing about who was going to be the greatest and then running away from Jesus and then locking locking the doors and hiding away in fear. Something took this group of uneducated men and women who were terrified and hiding from the authorities and transformed them into this group that gets out into the center of Jerusalem and proclaims the resurrection of Jesus and then goes on to transform. Historically, not an arguable reality. They transformed the reality of the known world in about 300 years, starting from this little seed if you remember our parable series, what changes? Let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, rivers of living water will flow from them. They go from that fearful, terrified, locked away place egotistical, arguing about who's greatest, and they become this relentless force of love, of humility, of generosity, of justice. They stood up boldly in their city. It was said of them that they turned the world upside down. And how did they do that? By giving themselves away. And you know what they did? They raised their hands in worship, but that wasn't all. They raised their hands in worship, and then they lowered them to care for their neighbors. They lifted up their arms in praise, and then they extended them in care uh, and welcome to the world. They spoke in tongues, yes, but they also shared their table. They received the fire and then they preached a reordering of the life around the way of Jesus. They received the promise and then they shared the promise. And this is how they said it. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off that means Brooklyn in 2021, you were counted in all who are far off, because you're far off in time and distance, and many of us are far off in our spirituality from what's being offered at Pentecost, and so the promise is for you and for your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord your God will call. So I want to tell you, no matter where you started from, if you sense the calling of God this morning on Pentecost, you can receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the accomplishment of what Jesus has done on. The cross and in his resurrection. What type of resistance would be worth missing what Jesus is offering here? At the end of it all, Jesus uh, Peter gives a long sermon, love the guy, explaining what's happening. At the end, he says, This: God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, "'Brothers, what shall we do?' Peter replied, "'Repent and be baptized, every one of you, "'in the name of Jesus Christ, "'for the forgiveness of your sins, "'and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit.'" So we end with this picture of the receptivity in our hearts. Despite the reality, we know there is resistance. We can open our hearts to God and receptivity from whatever place we are starting. It says they were cut to the heart. I think that's language so similar to let anyone who's thirsty. We're talking about the real substance of their inner life was being touched. That deep place of longing was being spoken to. They're aware of their longing. They're bringing it out. They're sharing it uh, you know, in humility with someone else. They were convicted and they needed action. What must we do to experience this life? What must we do to experience this experience salvation, and here's what they they say to do. Let go and receive. Repent and believe. Let go and receive. What are you holding on to that you need to let go of to confess and to surrender into the hands of Jesus, to lay at the foot of the cross, to, to, to say over this, it is finished, In Jesus' name, for today, as best as I know how, I surrender this thing to you, God. What are the things you know you need to let go of? Maybe it's a fear. Or, or, or a host of fears or a symphony of fears. Maybe it's the voice of shame. Maybe it's how you can't seem to answer the voice of shame when it takes on a certain tone of voice in your mind. Maybe it's some habit of thought or habit of behavior. You're like, I said I was done with this and I just don't seem to be done with it. Maybe it's some disappointment, some some frustration. Maybe you've been you know d- discipled by disappointment over the last 12 months. Maybe it's some stubbornness or hard place in your heart. Maybe it's pride. Maybe it's laziness or lust or comfort. What are the things that you need to let let go of, that you need to repent of and turn away from and surrender to Christ this morning. It's so worth it for what we're going to receive. And that's the second part, is to receive the Holy Spirit. This living, active, invigorating, world-changing Spirit of God living in your very life. How many of you are ready to say, come Holy Spirit, fill me today? They were cut to the heart. The apostles say, let go of all this you're holding and receive the Holy Spirit. I want to give you just a a moment to do that. My hope is throughout the rest of this Pentecost series that we can get really practical with what's going on in our lives, that we can get to that cut the heart, cut to the heart place, with you know, with all that's happened in the last 12 months, with all that we're dealing with in our city, with all that we're dealing with in our personal lives. I know there's a wide spectrum. Some of you just got your dream job. Some of you are dealing with the, you know the, the terror of not knowing what the next couple of days is going to hold, and, and all in between. And, and and we've been praying and talking as a team about. What about the Holy Spirit and re-entry to life after a pandemic? What about the Holy Spirit and exhaustion? What about the Holy Spirit and your therapist? How do those things relate? What about the Holy Spirit and planning a vacation? What about the Holy Spirit and your child's development? What about the Holy Spirit and your friends who moved away? What about the Holy Spirit and the job that you hate? or the boss that you hate? What about the Holy Spirit and the, the miserable state your marriage is in? Like, where are the places in our real lives that the Holy Spirit it, it speaks and gives this life? Because it can't be enough on Pentecost Sunday that we say, come open up, and God's going to give you all this shine, all this goodness, all this beauty, all this glory, unless it touches the real places of our lives. And I want to tell you, church, it does. And where it begins and each place is turn, scrape these honest places of your heart out, and lay them before God and receive the Holy Spirit. Let go and receive. That's the invitation and the prayer of Pentecost. Come, Holy Spirit. So we're, we're going to move into a time where I just want to give you a moment or two, right where you are. God, come in the name of Jesus and search our hearts, church. Maybe it's just extending your hands open, saying, "Search me, O God. Know my heart. Try me. Know my thoughts." What is it that I need to let go of? What is it that I need to surrender to you? Just give a few moments of silence to ask that question. Heavenly Father, as we release these things, would you give us courage to let go of them completely? God, as we were praying, I was picturing one of those circular kids' mazes that were like on the the back of a box of cereal and just had a sense in my heart, God, that there's a few people who feel like they made a, a wrong turn in the maze and they cannot get back to where they need to. And as I was thinking that, I remember, Jesus, after your resurrection, that you just appeared behind locked doors. That the barriers of that maze are not barriers to you. That you can take us exactly to the place we need to be as we surrender to you. So I just pray for anyone who feels like they're having trouble surrendering or they're having, you know, dealing with the shame of having taken some wrong turn and they're stuck in a maze, and can't, that, that you can transcend that by the reality of your resurrection, by the outpouring of your Holy Spirit just pray you'd minister as people surrender to you right now. In Jesus' name, we let go and then we receive. And I just want you to invite you all of you on this Pentecost Sunday to extend your hands. And I just want to pray that, that, that you would come, Holy Spirit. Come and fill us up. Let us know that you are with us. Let us know that you are near. And fill us with your very life. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us up in Jesus' name. Pour out your life in Jesus' name. Amen.